0: The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts. We're doing something a little different for this episode. I'm actually not in studio with Chad. I'm far, far away, but sitting with him are three wonderful guests, Carol Anderson, principal coach of Utah Opera, Jacob Lee, composer and Omer Ben-Siadia, stage director. Welcome, all three of you.
1: Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. Wonderful to have the three of you. We are talking today about a very interesting project the Utah Opera has put together in honor of the Golden Spike anniversary. For those of you that don't live out west, you may not know that on May 10, 1869, the Golden Spike was driven in to the Transcontinental Railroad connecting the Central Pacific and Union Pacific Railroad. So we're celebrating the 150th anniversary of that incredible event. Part of that event, though, are the human stories that often don't get remembered, let alone told. And Utah Opera has an amazing project they're calling 10-Minute Operas. Carol Talk a little bit about how this idea came to life. I think you've been working on this for over a year, right?
1: Absolutely. We started last March talking about how we could create uh, something, a project that would uh, join in this statewide celebration, which has been quite huge. And if you go to spike150.org, you can look and see the plethora of events that have happened all over the state, artistic, celebratory, performance-oriented. And so we wanted to be a part of this because it's an important anniversary for our state. We have a colleague back in Boston who had done these 10-minute operas and we thought, well, we have so much great talent that we'd already identified working with composers and librettists here in town and poets that we felt we could really tap into that and create something quite special. We announced the project in July thinking we were a little bit behind and we actually got over 30 submissions from composers and librettists for us to look f- through. And they were all asked to present a, a proposal for a story, specifically the Golden Spike Ceremony or the Transcontinental Railroad or transportation, immigration, some theme along those lines. And uh, we got four great stories that I think show a real variety. So these composers and librettists have been working on it since the actual composition of the pieces since, what, August, Jacob? Yeah. And then we've had several steps along the way, but one of the things we love the most about this is that we're taking it out to the community so everyone doesn't have to come to downtown Salt Lake to our home in the Capitol Theater. We're actually taking it up north to Brigham City and to Ogden as well as performing in Salt Lake.
0: That's a really great part of this, the fact that you're, you know making it sort of service-oriented as well, not just something where you build it and they come, you're going to take it to them. I think that's great. I I wanted to talk a little bit to Jacob. Jacob, you're one of the composers of the four chosen 10-minute operas, and I, I suspect this is unique amongst your compositional output. I'm sure you don't get many opportunities to build a ship in a bottle like this. It's a very succinct thing you've been asked to do. So talk a little bit about the process, and I'm curious if there's anything particular to this subject matter that lends itself to brevity.
2: I'm often when I composing, uh, I try to get a character or an idea or a feeling down to its most just core elements. And then I can go and expand on that. Composing an opera is a first for me. And so this has been a very unique opportunity in that regard. In particular, working with a librettist is something just so fascinating and new, working with my librettist, Christine. Just working together with her to really nail down what our characters were, what we were trying to accomplish, what we were trying to say uh, while we were writing this opera is something that was just so completely novel for me.
1: If I can just interject, too, I want to point out, do, yeah. this was really interesting. Many of the submissions that we had were from established composer and librettist teams, so people who knew each other already and applied as a group. But am I remembering correctly that Jacob, you, and Christine were matched by the Utah
0: Opera?
2: Right, yeah, we we had never met before August. so I
0: think there might be an idea for an app in there somewhere. <laughs> I do want to pivot to Omer because Omer as a stage director, it's your job to bring these pieces to physical life. And as a person who's worked in the opera world before, you know that opera is a very long-winded art form. There's tons of space and there's a lot of patience and you can make grand sort of long thematic statements in, in the over the course of a couple of hours. So I can only imagine it's difficult to deal with such a short amount of time and what challenges did you face as a stage director by the limits placed on you with these little micro operas and how did you conquer them?
3: Well, I think that, uh, like Jacob was saying, there is something about this challenge that is that is unique and yet it is very much on theme with what we usually do when we're sort of challenged with a new piece, which is how do you tell a, a very clear, very human story in the most communicative way to an audience and how do you convey character or sort of grow into character in a short amount of time because once the singers get on the stage they already embody all of these different attributes and all this different stories and all these uh, timelines so it's very much the same approach as we would have to a full-length opera as we would to these short ones. The fun thing about this is that we're sort of getting to play around with these themes that supposedly have their parallel to one another, but they all sort of manage to meet and crossroad in a really interesting way between the four pieces together.
0: Circling back to subject matter for just a second. So, Carol... You and I have talked a lot about opera Mm -hmm. over the course of our long friendship. Of course. Opera and history intersect quite often, and they always have, always will. And I want to know what you think about what makes opera so effective as a repository for memory and context. Why do our most important stories, and in this case, most problematic Human stories gain so much by being set to song. What's the magic there?
1: Well, I think there's something incredibly visceral, first off, about the unamplified human voice and its power to communicate. And so right there, that breaks down a lot of the barriers. Also, you know, and I've seen plays that explore problematic subject matter uh, musicals whatever, varying forms that looked into this. But I feel like with our operas, we're able to bring in a palette through rhythm and pitch that you can't always access through just simple speaking of the voice. And then we also have not just the four performers in each opera, but we have the voice of the composer and how Jacob has told the story through his music, how Christine has told the story through her words, you know, there's just so many aspects that you don't get in every performing art style. But the thing that's really exciting to me is just and the thing that I love the most about opera is that visceral impact of an acoustic human voice, and the colors that it can bring to storytelling.
0: Music as a way of getting directly to the core of a thing, in a way that spoken word and other art forms do differently, and maybe not as well.
1: Of course, I support all of those other art forms in my own personal life and such. But there's something about that ugly cry that you have at the end of a Mahler symphony that you wouldn't have gotten from anything else. I've I've had this experience. I had it just last week listening to Mahler 8 again. And there's just something that you can't create. And I've never experienced in another form.
3: You know, I think... Opera does have a a unique approach to sort of historical and, and sort of grand storytelling. But I think the interesting thing about this project is that all of the creators are writing about these historical events or these historical characters, but they're definitely writing from the perspective of their current lives and their current perspectives. So what we have are eight artists who come together with their current... 2018, 2019 values and sort of sensibilities and writing about this. So it's not just something that we can sort of keep and, and relay as historical fact in the past, but also have some of our perspectives that we can bring to it now that challenge it sometimes, that miss it, that are nostalgic about it, that are appalled by it. You know, There's all these different reactionary approaches to it as well.
0: This idea of perspective is really interesting to me, and it leads me to what I wanted to ask Jacob about next, because the problematic nature of the story that I was referencing before is the fact that the men and women who made the joining of these railroads happened suffered, and they suffered a lot. Many died. Cultures that were um, new to America had this as their first experience on this continent, and there's a lot to be mined there in terms of things we ought to be thinking about. But Jacob, your story is a quieter one. It's... It gives us a rather calm look at these three characters as they are nearing the journey's end, and they're sort of looking back on what they've done and sort of discussing with each other how they plan to reckon with the West going forward. And I find that really interesting that you chose this sort of softer way of entering these characters' lives. So what should listeners take away from your specific creation for this 10-minute opera project?
2: I think the angle that that we're trying to capture here is that feeling, and I think everyone can relate here, where you have some sort of trying traumatic experience, and the longer the better. Um, in my short life, I I can only compare to something like finishing a degree or or some large work that I'm working on. But you you have this moment, and sometimes it's just a couple of minutes, and sometimes it's a couple of days. And you just need that time to process. And and that's really what I think we're trying to capture here. So on the one hand, that. But on the other hand, we also have this very literal gathering going on where they've connected the railroads. And so now the world is basically open to them. And so each of these characters are trying to figure out what their home situation is like. Where are they going after that? are they going? They have to redefine what home is for each and every one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Omer, I, I think I know a little bit about what you might answer to this question because you started to talk about it when you were commenting about the history and uh, the way it intersects with this art form. But I'm curious, in a situation like this where you've got four operas, that are basically four variations on a theme. you're directing the package I'm wondering what choices you make as a director to make them distinct but connected. And are you actually trying to tell a meta story across the set? Or do they each get the unique treatment? Do they each exist in their own sort of discrete space?
3: I think that uh, in looking at how to make this into... um into one whole performance, it was important to sort of keep this idea of our modern perspective on it so that we have our the wonderful resident artists as themselves throughout the show. And what they do is they put on and take off these attributes of these different characters when we go from piece to piece. But wherever they are, they sort of maintain this sense of self as they go through these different characters. And I think that what... What is really interesting for us as we're exploring is how to sort of step into these characters for a moment in time because, like we were talking, you don't have that much time to sort of live in the in these characters. So how do I step into someone else's shoes, into their coat, into their hat, into their sort of perspective for a while to see the world from their, from their point of view, which is something that I think that we're all striving to do in any art form is, you know, how do I step into someone else's perspective and and see their look upon the world? I think what's interesting about what Jacob was saying about his piece is that we think about these characters in this sort of far-off way, and a lot of the concerns and a lot of the day-to-day issues, troubles, things that they carried with them are things that we're we're so connected with because it has to do with sort of like the quote unquote the the small things in life but those are the things that you have to sort of that accumulate into something and just like I think with these pieces it's it's every one of them is a strong sort of perspective on this theme but there's something about the whole of all four together that also sort of give you a window into this world that the accumulation of it brings a different perspective to it.
0: It's fascinating, and I can't imagine a project where you directed four three-hour-long operas being any more rewarding than this. I'm sure that the tiny nature of this does not take away from its impact. I'm sure that it's there for very powerful statements.
3: Yeah, and I think, it, I mean, it's been such a pleasure to work with these teams. We started working in the fall, sort of as the pieces have been evolving. And it's, I mean, I, I can never get over how great it is to actually be able to talk and see living composers and the librettists. And I've been very fortunate to, to be able to do that a lot. And because there's something about the sensitivity and the reaction, and sort of their ability to respond to one another, to respond to me, to respond to the singers. We workshop this um, in the winter, and all of every step of the way, there's something to be learned. There's something to be sort of honed, to be polished, and I mean that in and of itself is is so much fun. And to see how, even though the teams themselves have not been working as a collective, the pieces um, have a dialogue between them that that maybe only Carol and I can see at the moment, but I think once we have the whole evening together will be sort of really interesting to see how how they all correlate with one another.
0: Speaking of being able to see things, Carol, I wonder if this is going to be recorded. Will there be a way for people not in Salt Lake City or in the other parts of Utah to see these pieces?
1: Interestingly enough, one of the strange natures of this project is it's coming out of the education and outreach program. And therefore, it is not coming out of the main stage. And the reason I bring this up is that some of us who would normally know exactly what our role is in a main stage Production are finding new roles. And therefore, you having asked that reminds me that I meant to talk to our social media person to make sure that we can Facebook stream it at least one of the evenings. So, this is just to say that your um, question has helped me remember to check a certain box on my list.
0: (laughs) Well, I think these bite sized. art pieces lend themselves perfectly to getting out on social media in as many ways as possible. So I really do hope that happens, not least of which so that I can see them. I'm really excited to do that. Um, Before I let the three of you go, I wanted to ask a couple of questions that I always try to get on the table when I have opera people on the show. And the first one is, and this has has nothing to do with Spike 150 or anything we've been talking about. This is dreaming. I want to know from all three of you, what subject, real or imagined, historical, contemporary, sky's the limit, do you think deserves an operatic treatment of its own? There's got to be something out there that you think needs to be put into an opera. Jacob, why don't you go first? I've been skipping you. Sorry.
2: Oh, no, you're fine. Um, <laughs> th- that's why I compose. I'm not as good with speaking. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, if, if there was something that I was aware of, I'd probably be writing it already, so... I'm uh-huh. open for just
0: about anything. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get some good ideas here when Carolyn Omar weigh in. I sure hope okay.
1: so. I'm a repeat guest on this show. And so this question came up, and I had a ready answer for that. And so I can't use the same answer, and you'll have to go and download that podcast to find out what that was. But, Absolutely.
0: Uh, subscribe.
1: Subscribe, exactly. But I actually think there is a wonderful novel by Willa Cather, so a female novelist, Um, from the Midwestern region, the Plains, Great Plains, and she wrote a novel called The Song of the Lark, which is about a woman who escapes her Plains city, I think it's in Nebraska, and goes to try to make a career as an opera singer. So that's my dream, to go along with the one that was mentioned on the other podcast, The Song of the Lark by Willa Cather.
0: What do you think, Omer? What's a subject that needs to be put into operatic treatment?
3: Oh wow, um, I can't imagine a subject that we that we don't already have in the canon. Personally, I I'm really interested in translating um, Israeli literature or taking Israeli literature that's been translated into um, into English or into other languages and and sort of bringing that part of my sort of cultural upbringing into the operatic form. There's a lot of things that I feel like there's no way that I could possibly translate. And yet I think that they're worthwhile to try. But that's one of those like 20 year projects that I have to that I have to start any day now.
0: I'm sure there's a wealth of dramatic material in that catalog to be drawn on so i i hope you make some progress there because i'm sure there are stories there that we need to hear in america absolutely one more question and then i'll let the three of you go because i know these are busy times and i appreciate your time today and this is a question that's sort of a stock question it's sort of a hallmark of the show so forgive the silliness of it but i'm curious because of our name i want to know if any of you have ever seen a ghost this is kind of a tradition and people give us ghost stories what do you got to say Crickets. (laughs)
3: crickets. Oh. Dead <laughs> silence, Chad. Okay, Dead so silence. I'll connect this with I'll just say something very quickly. It's um but it does connect with one. So I love one of the pieces in the for short opera project is um No Ladies in the Ladies Book where um mm-hmm. the women of the past come back to haunt these two um male journalists as they were. Um and they haunt them with facts. They haunt them with reminding them of all of the contributions that were made by women throughout the history of the railroads, the construction, the, the planning, the tools, the inventions, all of that. And I just am tickled by the idea of ghosts of women's past coming back to remind us of their contributions throughout our history.
0: That's a pretty great answer. Can anybody do better? Nope.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's we volunteer Omer as tribute. Oh, God. I'm too scared of ghosts and ghost houses (laughs) and haunted houses.
0: I love the idea of ending this discussion uh, where I I ask you about a ghost and you tell me about an opera. (laughs) It's absolutely perfect. Welcome to my life. (laughs) I'm very, very excited about Spike 150. I'm excited about the 10-Minute Opera Project. I'm thrilled that I was able to get the three of you on the show today. Carol, Jacob, Omer, thank you so much for being guests on the Ghost Live podcast. Thank Thank you, you, Joe. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.